Let's just pray before we come to God's word, shall we? Father, we just come now and ask you, Lord, to speak through your word to our hearts. May we hear your voice. May you challenge us. May you do us good. And may we be able to worship you more and more through this passage. In Jesus' name. Amen. Rejection. Have you ever been rejected? Uh, I remember as a kid, we used to line up and get picked for teams. Now, I was never the last one, but I was never the first one usually either. When it came to football, there were always people better than me, and there were, thankfully, people that were worse than me. But, you know, when you're the last one, I don't think that's a very good feeling, is it? Perhaps you've been there. Um, you ever been for a job and got turned down? I, I read of some people who have made in the past so many job applications. And in fact, companies don't, they don't even get rejection letters now. They just don't hear anything if you're not getting an interview. And uh, people can get very down um, about getting that sort of rejection. Uh, Perhaps you've even felt rejected at church. <laughs> Perhaps uh, there's jobs that you've wanted to do and other people are doing them, you know, and uh, you've not been able to do what you want to do. Perhaps you've got overlooked and someone's been asked to do something and you think, well, God, I could have done that. I've done all this. I've got all this experience. And, uh, but rejection's not a nice thing, is it? The feelings you get when you're rejected uh, can be really negative feelings. Well, Jesus knew what it was to be rejected. And if we're Christians, we need to be prepared to be rejected too. And in fact, that's exactly what we find in this passage. Uh, the, this morning the passage isn't just one story, is it? We've got a number of things here, but we haven't got anything here like we've seen in the past. We've seen Jesus with power and authority. The emphasis we've had is on Jesus being the king. And he casts out demons. And at Jesus' name, the demons have to run. <laughs> Whether it's a herd of pigs or wherever. And that was not just one demon. Jesus had power over the demons. He had power over the storm, over nature. You know, it doesn't need much of a wind, does it, for us to be battening down the hatches at home. And you think what Jesus did. That, that story staggers me, you know. He calmed the wind and the waves. What don't I get? It's this. I can understand calming the wind because you can go out there and it can be blowing a gale and the next second it can stop. But you get a bucket, a bucket of water sloshing around and you try and stop it sloshing. And you see how long it takes you. Just get a bucket of water, a bowl of water in the kitchen. Do that and then time. How long it takes to stop it. But what does Jesus do with the Sea of Galilee? He speaks. And it's a mill pond. The scripture says, the sea was calm. No wonder the disciples said, 
Who is this? What kind of man is this? And we've seen Jesus healing people, hundreds of people. And last week we saw Jesus raising the dead. What sort of power and authority is this? But this week, we see none of that. Instead, we have three different scenarios. And each of those scenarios, we have the question of rejection for either the Lord or the Lord's people. Rejection is not very nice. And in this first little section, verses um, 1 to 5, we find Jesus is rejected by his acquaintances. And if you've got the notes, you'll see I'll put a subheading. I've called this the poverty of faith. By that I mean lack of faith. The people here don't seem to have faith in any sense that we would call saving faith. In fact, this story is interesting because what we find is Jesus is actually amazed. Verse 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Do you know there are only two occasions in the Gospels, as far as I know, where Jesus, we're told, is amazed? Because God is not usually amazed at anything, because nothing surprises God. But we're told twice Jesus is amazed. Both of the times are to do with faith. This is one of them. And Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Such unbelief staggered him. The other occasion is just the opposite. It was the Roman centurion who said, Heal my daughter. Well, look, Lord, you don't have to come. Just say the word and it will happen. And Jesus was amazed at how great this man's faith was. He said, I've not found such great faith. But that's not the case here. This is a lack of faith. And this is only the second time that Jesus has preached in his hometown. And the first time was right at the beginning of his ministry. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 onwards. And in that passage, Jesus goes to the synagogue, reads from Isaiah, and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. And uh, there was a discussion, and then Jesus said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And, uh, and he quotes uh, Old Testament people, how God didn't work in certain places. And what happened was, the people wanted to murder him. He doesn't use the word murder. It says they just wanted to throw him off the cliff. But remarkably, Jesus went through their mist and went away. They didn't have the power to do that. So he was thrown out. You ever been thrown out of anywhere? I was thrown out of somewhere. It was a lady's house. I knocked on the door. 
and her daughter came to the doorstep and her daughter was a Jehovah's Witness and we talked quite strongly and this lady came to the door and said get off my doorstep I don't want people arguing on my doorstep and uh, she kicked me out remarkably I ended up going back and knocking on this lady's door and uh, it was a different circumstance it was a different welcome but what welcome will Jesus get he's thrown out the first time he goes back and people are amazed isn't this a terrific reaction I mean you think why did he go back he's been doing all these miracles and obviously people have heard heard about them verse 2 many who heard him were amazed at his teaching where did they this man get this teaching they asked what's this wisdom where did he get this what are these miracles that he's doing and they'd obviously heard about the miracles the stories went round like wildfire people are back alive from the dead they knew about Jesus they knew about what he'd done he didn't do miracles first time he was there but these people knew about them and they are amazed in verse 2 they were amazed in our language the the actual Greek word if I can use a sort of colloquial phrase it's gobsmacked they were gobsmacked they were absolutely shocked where did this man get these things why did they say that because they knew this man he'd lived amongst them for 30 years they knew his family they knew mum and dad they knew his brothers and sisters and please note Mary did have other sons and daughters she wasn't a virgin all her life they knew the family in fact he was the carpenter's son isn't this the carpenter it says here in Matthew it says the carpenter's son Jesus trained and for 30 years he worked as a carpenter I think Jewish tradition says that he made farm implements yokes and things but he worked with his hands in a workshop people knew him they knew he'd not been to Bible college he'd not gone you know to the big city down to Jerusalem he had uh, they knew who he was in fact they called him Mary's son that could be significant you know because people aren't normally named after their mother normally it would be Joseph's son so this could have been a derogatory term because Jesus was conceived out of wedlock in a sense we have a word for that that word doesn't apply to Jesus though because his birth was actually quite legitimate but calling him Mary's son and not Joseph's son could have been a snide way of getting to him but they weren't just amazed at him look at the end of verse 3 they were offended with him 
they were offended. That word offend is the word scandalize. This is a scandal. What's this man doing? What's he talking about? And then Jesus quotes this proverb that he quoted on his first visit. A prophet is not without honour except in his own town. Let me say this. I think there's a very important lesson here. These people thought they knew who Jesus was. They thought, we know this man. But they only knew what they knew. They didn't know what they didn't know. The point I'm trying to make is this. Sometimes you people can be so familiar with what they know about Jesus that it actually stops them getting through to who he really is and coming into a real relationship with him. You see, I think there are people in churches all over the place that have come into church week after week and they've heard all about Jesus dying on a cross and they say, yeah, I know all that. But they're so familiar with it, it never becomes real for them. Please don't let that happen to you. It's important that we get past just knowing who Jesus is up here. We have to trust him in here and know him in here too. Um, in Hebrews 4, verse 2, I think I put the reference on a sheet. There, there's a real warning from the Old Testament. Speaking about Old Testament believers, uh, saints, or Old Testament people, it says, they heard the word of God, but it didn't profit them, because they didn't mix the word with faith. We have to trust what God says, and we have to act upon it. And these people here, they think they know all about Jesus, but they are not going to act upon his words. J.C. Ryle, the once Bishop of Liverpool back in the end of the 19th century, I think, says, um, Unbelief has the power to rob men of the highest blessings. The sin that, in a sense, can't be forgiven is unbelief. The sin that condemns the world, Jesus says, is the fact that people have not believed in him. And the wonderful thing today is that we are saved simply by believing in him and trusting him and following him. But here we see not just rejection by his acquaintances, we find the disciples are sent out, and here we see the disciples in some cases are rejected by people they go to. But I've given this a subtitle of the power of faith because the disciples go out and act on what Jesus says. And uh, they're sent out two by two, uh, verse seven. And that's a great principle for working, you know. If you want to do any Christian work, having a helper is a great thing. It's interesting in the Acts of the Apostles, the apostles never went on their own. When Paul, when Paul was first sent out, the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Silas. Or it was Paul and Barnabas. People were always going in twos. You often find Peter and John together. 
Um, it's a great principle. But the disciples are obedient. They go out and they have remarkable effects. And obedience is what God wants. Uh, some people think God wants us to be religious. <laughs> I don't think God wants religion. I think he wants us to be obedient to what he says and just trust him. That's what he wants. And the disciples do this. And they were blessed in their service for the Lord. And that's the way for us to be blessed as well, being obedient to what God says. Not that that means everything works out fine. Just ask John the Baptist. This poor man ended up in prison. He was there under God's will. And he didn't come out, as we read. He had the most horrific death. The only good thing about it was it was quick. But John had questions in prison. And he's saying, he sent a message to Jesus. Have I got this right? Are you the one? And Jesus had to reassure him. And sometimes Christians get doubts. They're following God's word. They're being obedient. And yet they end up in a place and they, they're not quite sure what God is doing. It doesn't mean it all works out easy. But the place of obedience is the place of blessing. Whatever that actually means in practice. I quoted a, a verse on home group on Tuesday that I couldn't remember it and I'll quote it again now. It's 2, Chron 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says this. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. What a fantastic verse that is. God is looking for people to trust him. He's looking for his people to trust him every day. And God is there looking to bless them. God is a gracious and good God. Notice uh, what these disciples were to preach when they went out. They, were, um, they went out in verse 12. They preached that people should repent. That simply means turning around, going a different direction. And if we're to become Christians, there has to be a change of direction. You know the first words that John the Baptist preached? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus preached it as well. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is the first word that John preached. It's the first word that Jesus preached. It's the word that Paul preached in Acts 17 when he went to Athens. Having talked to them about God, he said God is now declaring to men everywhere that they should repent because he's fixed the day in which he'll judge the world. Repentance is key and... Uh, If we are to preach the gospel, we have to preach repentance. There has to be a change. You cannot carry on as you were. 
we have to live in a way that God wants us to live. Not that that change saves us. We change because we are saved. We have faith in Christ. That's what saves us. But as a result of that, we want to walk with the Lord. And uh, so we can't change ourselves. We have to trust God to change us. But what God wants is a genuine sorrow from us about our old direction. And he wants us to change and to move in a different direction. Um, I called this the power of faith because the disciples went out and did miracles. They did miracles just as Jesus did. Jesus said, though, that his disciples would do greater miracles. Those greater miracles are spiritual miracles. You can't have anything greater physically than raising the dead. No, when people are converted, people are effectively raised from the dead. And as we uh, tell people to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be saved, then God uses that to bring people into new life. Of course, not everyone will accept them. And Jesus tells them that. Verse 11. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. There are some people that are not willing to listen. And Jesus said... In Matthew's Gospel, there's several passages where he preaches woe to people. And he preaches in Matthew 11, he says, he preaches woe to the cities that saw the miracles that he did because they did not repent. And he repeats it. And uh, these people were culpable because they rejected the testimony of of the Lord Jesus and the testimony of the disciples. So some people are simply not willing to repent and Herod was one of those. Rejected by Herod, not Jesus, but John the Baptist, his disciple. I've called this the price of faith. Why? Because Herod wasn't willing to pay the price. He had taken on board, he'd entered a sexual relationship with his sister-in-law. And John the Baptist said, that's wrong. You can't do that. And sometimes public sin does demand a public rebuke. That's what John did. And this woman, Herodias, didn't like John for that reason. And she wanted to get rid of John. She would have murdered him straight out. Herod wouldn't let her. Um, because Herod knew about John the Baptist and Herod had an interest in John the Baptist. This is what we're told, verse 20. He feared John. Verse 20, he protected him. This is a wicked king protecting John the Baptist. He knew, verse 20, John was a righteous and holy man. And verse 20 as well. When he heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Yet he liked to listen to him. 
Oh, Herod could listen to John the Baptist all day. <clears throat> I guess John the Baptist was a good preacher. Herod didn't like some of the things he said, but he found him entertaining. He found him interesting. Perhaps he found him amusing even. And in fact, when he's put in this corner where he's got to execute John the Baptist, we're told, verse 26, he was greatly distressed. But do you get this? For all his interest, for how much he liked John the Baptist, for the fact he didn't want to kill him, he liked to listen to him, yet Herod would not repent. He would not change. He would not pay the price. And when he felt distressed, he felt something. He felt sorry for John the Baptist. But it doesn't change him. And you can feel a lot of things about the Lord Jesus. But unless you repent and trust him, it will not do you any good. Herod was not willing to pay the price. Also, notice, the king, verse 26, was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. Herod was not willing to give up his reputation. Oh, he's going to lose face big time here, isn't he? If he says, no, 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 I'm not giving you that. Having just given his word up to half the kingdom, what's this man talking about? Was he drunk? Half his kingdom because a young woman infatuated him and danced for him? These were his values. His reputation was more important than the life of John the Baptist. And therefore he will do that deed uh, that he does. He will forget the right thing. He'll forget conscience. He'll forget love. And how different Herod is to God's true king. Herod loves himself. Christ loved his father and loved others. Herod's only concerned for his own reputation. Christ made himself of no reputation. Herod was corrupt. Christ was sinless and spotless. Herod was proud. Christ humbled himself to the point of death. Herod was unkind and evil. God's king is loving, kind, good, and always good. How different. And you might think, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like Herod. Thank God if you're not like Herod, but actually... There's a sense in which we are all as bad as Herod because our sins have separated us from God. And therefore, we all need to repent, whoever we are, and we all need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could be as interested as Herod was, but unless you trust Christ, it won't do you any good. And John the Baptist, the price of faith, John the Baptist paid the ultimate price. And there are many Christians that have given their lives 
for the sake of the gospel. Many, many people over many years have gone to places and laid down their lives, whether that's Jim Elliot on a beach in South America. How wonderful that that man, that chief that killed him, was later converted and came to Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And although John loses his life, actually he gained it. No one dies for Christ needlessly. We, we gain our lives by losing them. We lose our lives by trying to keep them. That's what Jesus said. And John puts his life on the line because he preaches what God tells him to preach. He does what God tells him to do. He goes where God tells him <clears throat> to go. But he was rejected. And perhaps if we're Christians at some point, we should expect the same. I don't say we look for it. We don't. We try to live at peace with all men. But sometimes you get turned away. Um, I had a man come to our, our house a few months ago to fix our alarm. And when he left, I offered him a Gideon New Testament. He almost threw it back in my face. It's not a nice feeling to be rejected. But that doesn't matter. That man had an opportunity, he has to answer to God for that. But we shouldn't look for the rejection, but we should expect it. I put a little note in your notes. I don't know where this came from. It just came into my head, but I probably read it somewhere else, I don't know. I said it costs nothing to become a Christian. Absolutely nothing. Isn't that fantastic? If you need to be saved today, you can come to Christ and you can trust him. It costs absolutely nothing. But to be a Christian, truly, costs absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. John the Baptist was rejected. Looks like a failure from a worldly perspective. But don't judge human standards. Jesus said John was the greatest man that had lived. But let me tell you, the person who trusts in the Lord Jesus is actually greater still. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is greater than John the Baptist. How wonderful. Salvation's a free gift. But with that salvation, expect to be rejected just as Jesus was just as his disciples were, and just as John the Baptist was. Amen. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, 
Josephus is often the person who's quoted. He was an historian at the time. He wasn't a Christian, but he recorded many of the events um, around the time of the Lord Jesus. And he's, he's viewed as a very reliable historian. So he, he's got things there. In terms of Herodias, I think there, there are things, because of the connection with Herod, and there's a lot of historical stuff, but I can't actually give you the references offhand. But I, I'm absolutely certain the references are there. Um, because, in fact, Herod wasn't a true king as we call it. He was only over one province. He was a sort of a, a, a small fish. Um, you know, he got quite a checkered history. Again, there's, there's all sorts of history around those, those things. There's, I don't think there's any question normally about the kings and the rulers and the people that we read of, you know, um, because things are so well documented.